Um, okay, Quinn, so I'm home and I have to tell you, I took my nephews. I I came home and I was so excited to see my nephews, like so stupid excited. Mm-hmm. And I took them to an Aunt Carrie day, an Aunt Carrie day. And we had the best time. I took two of them. So I took a couple of them to tennis or all three of them went to tennis, but two of them played tennis. And my one little nephew like held my hand and he was like, Aunt Carrie, I missed you. Cute. I missed it you so much. And it was so sweet. And then we went to the aquarium. And it ruled. It ruled so hard. So we went to the aquarium. And like the first thing we did was get in there. And there was a little penguin, little demonstration or whatever. And my nephew, um, Jack, is like obsessed with animals and whales. And he knows all about sharks. And he's obsessed with these books that are like, a falcon versus a hawk who would win or oh a scorpion God. versus a tarantula was who would obsessed win. with the same books he's there, we did a skunk versus a tiger the other day and a skunk would win it did i know because jack is always like and carrie who would win and he like lists somebody he's like that's wrong the skunk would win stinky so anyway so we're in we're in this thing and he's like chatting and he's like you know elephant seals eat penguins and so they did this moment where like they were asking questions of the audience and he was sitting there and he was like looking at other kids asking the question and he's five he just turned five and he like raised his hand so strongly Mm -hmm. and he just asked the woman he was like do elephant seals eat penguins which here's the beauty of this moderator who is taking kids questions she was like are you asking what natural predators there are to penguins which is a cooler way of asking that question mm-hmm. especially from a little kid mm-hmm. and as soon as they listed that seals eat penguins i just heard him go i was right <laughs> I was right so then i'm like going through the aquarium and there's a little part where you can sit and watch sharks and like the four of the five of us my sister was there and my brother was there but my sister and i were sitting with them i was eating pringles with my nephews life was good we were watching sharks they just were like mesmerized by it, it was so incredible and we ended up going to like a little TV, a little like uh, video 4D mm-hmm. um, presentation on sharks. And it had like your seat vibrated. You wore 3D glasses. If there was like foam, they had bubbles mm-hmm. coming out at you. So And they had wind blasting at you. So it felt like you were in the movie. Quinn, I am scared of sharks. Oh, it's and very scary. And I was with scary. these little kids. Right. And I was like, this is fucking scary. Too scary. And at one point, my nephew Liam was like, he was telling it later. He was like, there was one fish that came out fast. I got so scared. Pirate booty popped out of my bag. He got really scared. <laughs> and then and then we're like sitting and they're doing the great white shark. And one of my nephews, Liam, is sitting on my lap. I'm holding Tommy's hand because he's a little scared. And I see they're about to do the Great White Shark. The music is like crescendoing and the seals are doing the like waves. And so I hear it, I hear it happening. And I was like, hey, Liam, like if you want to close your eyes, there's going to be a scary part. Like feel free to close your eyes. And I think maybe I closed my eyes too. <laughs> I'll be sure. honest. So the Great White Shark comes and like jumps out and it eats a seal like blast. And all of a sudden I hear Jack next to me go, that's lunch. Really? We you need to know something. I've been to this 40 experience. It tours. They had it at the Brooklyn Aquarium. They've had it at that like one the exact video and I took Koa when he was way too young and we went in there and he you can ask it was Brayden and me and Koa and the 
he was he understood from the music when they're filming the seal that something was going to happen and he was really yeah. little like two and he's watching it and he goes no 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 and then as the music picked up and the seal got more and more in trouble and was about to get eaten he did this no 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 <laughs> And then when the shark ate him, he fully screamed and burst into tears. And I was like, do you need to leave? And he's like, yes. And I like ran him out of the theater. And luckily, we're like right by Coney Island. So I'm like, let's look at the roller coasters. And like, I was like, are you okay? And he was like, that was too much for me. The voting place is right by my house. And last... Yeah. I know I voted there. Oh, you did? Yeah. A few times ago, I went to vote and I noticed that one of my neighbors runs one of the tables, but not a neighbor I know that we're his... We know each other at all, just like a neighbor I've seen in the neighborhood. Hmm. And when I went and said, like, my name the first time, he mumbled, like, when I went to go get my stuff from him, I was like, oh, Quinlan Poster, da-da-da, here's my address. And then he went... Under his breath, he went, Karen. And I was like, why does that guy think I'm a Karen? Like, what have I done as a neighbor that makes that guy think I'm a Karen? And I got so in my head about it where, like, I've seen him around the neighborhood since then. He's, like, next door. I see him all the time. And I'm like, Quinn, is why? he the, is he, wait, Quinn, is he the wind chime guy? Oh, well, who knows, but probably not. But this is all going somewhere so Wait, I've like, always that, gotten that in feels my, like a lot I'm like, I've always gotten in my head and been like I don't know what I did to that guy and then when I went to go vote this last time it was him and I went to the table and he he um did it again and I was like <gasps> Quinlan Posner and then he was like Karen and then he said something else and I was like excuse me because I was like, we need to sort this. So I was like, excuse me? And he was like, oh, I said Karen Ann Quinlan. And I was like, no, Quinlan Posner. And he's like, oh, no, I know. It just reminds me of Karen Ann Quinlan. And I was like, who is that? And he was like, it's a crazy story. It's a story about this woman in the 80s or something that there was like all this decision of whether or not to take her off life support. And it was very controversial. And whenever I hear Quinlan, I just think Karen Ann Quinlan. And I realized that, like, for a year, I had thought this person fucking hated me and thought I was a fucking Karen. And really, he just had a really interesting story to share. And when he shared it, he was really, really nice about it. (laughs) He was nice about a story that's arguably very dark. I just very dark story. But he shared it with the right person. I mean, I just think that ultimately I was like, I do need to... I'm glad you addressed it because you would have been so in head. And I think, yeah. That would have lived within me. Are you kidding? That would have stayed with me for years. Mm -hmm. For years after. I I went to the dermatologist yesterday. Hey, good news. No skin cancer. Great. What? And it's this woman I've known for a long, long time. And Quinn, I love her. She's amazing. And she came in and she was like, you know, I think a facial would be great for you. Here's what facial you should do. She like, like, and then she gave me a bunch of samples, which is like my most favorite thing. And at one point she was like, you have insurance, right? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, okay. 
So anyway, but she looks at my skin on my face and she's like, I think we need a regimen for your skin. And I like have just had like a couple of breakouts because like new location, like I break out hormonally and I'm just like in a new space. I felt red a little bit. I'm gonna be honest with you. I felt red. I felt Cause I was like, I wanted, I literally go, I go, wait, but my skin's okay. Right. She's like, oh yeah, your skin's great. Wait, I just think we could like know put a little regimen. And I, I was like, I have a huge thing of like really expensive samples that you can have. I don't put anything on my skin, but when I went and got that free facial, yeah, they gave me tons of stuff and I'm I not, love free shit. And I can't give it away on the buy nothing page because the woman that gave it to me would see it. <laughs> So I'm looking for right. somebody to I give will it take to. It. Okay, great. I will take it. But I was like, I, I went in like for just like a skin cancer screening and then I had like a zit on my face and she like She's shot like, me with an anti-inflammatory thing on like like underground. And I was like, what is happening to my body? But I like, listen, I got some news stuff. And so we're going to see. And then I was looking up the sample that she gave me, like the cost of it. And it was like $1,000 for 45 grams. And I was like, what the fuck? I can't afford this. So crazy. Anyway, I just wanted to share that I uh, I I, I didn't think my skin looked bad. And then you know what? When a dermatologist comes and they have their readers on that like blow up your skin, you're like, and of course it looks bad under readers. Of course it looks bad. Nobody's looking at you with those. I walked in though, and the receptionist had these incredible nails. They were red, and they had blood streaks down them. And I was like. Those are stunning. She's like, thank you. I was like, what were you for Halloween? And she whispered, she was like, is a little sexy. And we were talking and I was like, these are my people. I was like, I actually have a true crime podcast. I shared with the entire <laughs> receptionist guest, truly, directly, creepily. So if you're listening, thanks for listening. I was just like doing some promotion at the dermatologist. Great. Maybe I can use Let's it as a write off everywhere. Maybe I can write it off. You know who we don't expense. have to do it for? Oh, well, what do you mean? Because we're listening to. Truly. Truly, darkly, creepily. I'm Quinlan Posner. I'm Carrie Yeah. And that's Quinlan Posner. All right. We we nailed it. We did it. Nailed it. Let's move on. Who are we thanking Patreon? Well, I did also want to shout out a couple of the new reviews. Um, Coach Nyla says we're her new favorite show and says, thank you for helping my day go by with a lot of laughs. And Tessia says, impressive storytelling. I'd give these ladies a one-armed pap smear any day. Thank you. We really Speaking appreciate doctors, that. We're not going to take you, you up I, on it, but we do we're appreciate We're not going to take you up on a pap. I like two hands. I'm a two. I'm a two hand Luke. I don't know if you heard, but my cervix is sneaky, so I'm going to need two hands. <laughs> two to six. Let's say thank you to <laughs> Jen G. Jen G. Jen G. That's a fun name to say. Jen G. Jen G. It's not G E N G. It's not G E N J I. It's G E N G. Ginger, are you a ginger? Ginger, ginger. What did are you, you have for dinner? Or are you a millennial? Genji. Either Gen-G. way, you're a falcon flying straight through our hearts, not our farts. We would never crop dust you. We love you, Genji. I would crop dust you, not hey, because I intend hey. to, but I do it often. Hey. I don't mean to, but it's like better out than in, you know? Rude. Oh, yeah, it's rude. Maybe we cut that. I don't want people to be, I don't want new listeners to feel crop dusted. I don't want the dermatologist dusted. ladies to know that I crop dust. Yeah, now you're going to be editing every single podcast for <gasps> your for who you are going to see at the dermatologist. You can't Shit. have people that know you listen to this. That's okay. I'm about to get my diamond glow facial. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I that doing with my life? Like 
too sexy. A scam? Yeah. No, I think what it is is it's something that's going to suction the shit out of my face. And I talked to my sister-in-law and I was like, what's the deal? Because she got it because she gets one through work. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it's kind of painful. So that's why they give it that name. Diamond, Diamond Glow. Glow. It's the most painful thing you'll ever do. I'll give you, listen, I'll give you Just a, like I'm see you right after because I'm coming be back to New York. I'm coming back to New York the next day. So you're going to see how glowy my face is. Oh, that's going to be fun. I'm very oh, excited. Oh, we have another person to thank. <gasps> okay. And I have to crop dust. Okay. Is it crop dust if you're living in it? No. <laughs> I'm crop dusting You're just me. sitting there and farting. Yeah. It's your, you're, not, you're just living in it. Okay. What's their name? Brianna T. <gasps> Brianna T, you're a insanity. We love you, Brianna T. Brianna T. I your name. I wonder if it's Brianna, cause it's actually totally spelled like a Brianna. Brianna T, it's insanity. We don't know how to say your name, but Quinn's excuses. She has a sister with the same name as Brianna, but it's said like Brianna, not Brianna. That was beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brianna. We are, you know we what? We peel it you is... and eat you like a banana. You didn't think I was going to keep going. You know what? I knew you were. I couldn't help I actually myself. knew you were. It always is you. It's I always you. I love a banana with my tea and I love Brianna with her tea. And I love to have tea <laughs> with my friend Brianna while we eat banana. Ah, la, 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 la. I really like that. La, 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 la. Mm-hmm. Quinn, does it feel different being apart when we record these? Sometimes I feel hungrier. <laughs> I, just, I just spit. That made me spit. I had a spit take. Holy yeah. shit. I'm always hungry, though. Yeah. Anywho. Okay. Can I tell you a story? You are first. Okay, great. Go, Quinn, go, Quinn, Quinn, Quinn. I hope you guys know this this story. It's about a man by the name <laughs> of Paul Onions. And Paul freaking Onions. I got this information from Mama Mia. Here we go again. Guardian, Wikipedia, all that's interesting. Biography, BBC and Oxygen. Larry Potter, you had it so did close. you leave the podcast? <laughs> um, my, my, our, we can never read an article. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. So fine. Paul Onions, he's 24 years old. He's British. He's a working class guy, used to be in the Navy. And now he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm quitting my day job. I'm young. I'm Paul Onions. I can do anything. <laughs> I don't want to be a mechanic. I want to go to Australia and have a fucking adventure. So packs his rucksack and heads to Australia in January of 1990. He's staying at a hostel like all the youngins do. Uh, Have you ever stayed in a hostel legit? Like what? I legit have. I think I've seen like filled with bunk beds one. Yeah. And I don't I I didn't love it. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) And the I mean, truth is, don't do it because now all you can stay at a little bit of a nicer one and have your own room. You just have to share a potty. Do that. It's safer. Yeah, there's like a lot of yeah. The hostel. Ugh, yeah, I've got. I've had. I've. I've been burned before. I'm leading you guys down a false positive because this hostel is not a hostel. Hostel. It's a regular hostel. So he's leaving the hostel, and that's really the problem. He takes a train to the edge of the city, and he's like, "I need to hitchhike." 
and I want to go hitchhike to this town where I can pick fruit, maybe make a little loot, keep doing my move toot, across. Toot. <laughs> you just rhyme. Just not, not, don't pick so pick much some fruit, fruit that you have to make toot. a little loot. And we're going to toot, toot, toot. And we're going to get the freaking boot. So Paul Onions is at the store and he's grabbing a beverage. I'm sorry, onions picking fruit. Just like sorry, it keeps coming. Any I'm sense. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. So, um, a guy walks by him and he's like, "Weird. That guy looks like an Australian cricket player that's famous." Um, it's not that guy, but <laughs> it's Paul he onions. does like look at him and really clock him. And then the guy's like, sees that Paul has a backpack and is like, "Oh, are you like pitch hiking? Do you need a ride somewhere?" And he's like, "Yeah, actually, I do." Um, and the guy's like, hey, I'll give you a ride. My name's Bill. But let me tell you something. His name is not Bill. His name is Ivan. And his oh, name is actually no. Ivan Robert Marco Milat. And he was born this in North. good. No. He's this is born bad. in 1945. He was the fifth of 14 kids. And his mom, who I guess is very pregnant most of the time, and the dad is very violent most of the time, and the family's kind of like a unit. Mm -hmm. They're not like spreading around, chit-chatting too much. I think they make the kids work a lot because you have to when there's so many. Um, But the boys get into a lot of trouble in that family. They do a lot of, I don't know, shoplifting and things like that. Just general Mm -hmm. shenanigans. Um, have a lot of run-ins with the law. So the policemen are like, oh, we know the Millets. They're trouble. In the 1960s, he's a teenager, and he's and he's like increasing his uh, criminal experiences. Enough so that- He's in, getting a, his resume in criminality is is getting a lot of good he's action. He's building his resume. And mm-hmm. in his like 20s, I, he does like start serving some time here and there for- doing the crimes. Um, He also, I read, had an affair with two of his brother's girlfriends during this time, which I was like, I guess if there's 14 of you, it would be hard to find your own girlfriend. But still, that's not nice either, Ivan. (laughs) So that's who who Bill is. Bill is Ivan. And Paul is Uh now in a car with Bill Ivan, not to be confused with Bill Irwin. the trip is uneventful. Nothing's going on. They're driving. But they're kind of chatting, and it comes to light that Bill is maybe a little racist. <laughs> like, he's definitely saying things that rub Paul the wrong way. He's talking about, like, immigrants living in Australia. And I think that at this point, Paul Onions is like, I don't like this guy. I got unlucky with this ride. This is kind of an asshole. Kind of a you know, they say you get what you pay for. Totally. And this ride was free but then, and has no value to him. But then Bill starts asking him kind of a disturbing set of questions. Maybe I think it depends on who asks you these questions. But he's like, so where are you headed? Is there anyone waiting for you in Canberra? Oh, you said you were in the Navy. Did you guys do like any special forces stuff? I don't know. It just like it rubs him wrong. He's a little mm-hmm. like, ooh, is this guy feels like he's casing me out. So mm-hmm. they're near the Belanglo State Forest and Bill starts to slow down and he's like checking in the rear view mirror. 
And Paul's like, what's up? Is there a problem? And he's like, oh, we're just, we're losing radio signal, which isn't great. And I think what I should do is just grab some um, cassette tapes from under my seat so that we can like listen to some jams. And Paul notices, like he looks down next to him and sees there's a bunch of cassettes that are easy to reach without doing any kind of pulling over. And that's when he's like, something is fucking fishy. Pulls over. And when Bill gets out of the car, Paul's like, I will also get out of the car. And then Bill's like, what are you doing? And Paul Onions is like, "Uh, just check everything okay? Okay. Like gets back in the car, puts on his belt. So does Bill. And he's like, okay. I'm just being like paranoid. But then Bill pulls out a gun. And he's like, this is a robbery. And then he pulls out a rope. And it's not the gun that really scares Paul. He says it was the rope that scared him because he said he thought to himself when he saw the rope, oh, that's going to be it. He's going to take a bit of time. He's going to do whatever he wants. And he's like, nope. Whatever I do, it's not going to be what this guy wants me to do. And in a fucking bold move with a gun on you, he just unbuckles his seatbelt, bails out of the car, and runs down the highway. Wow. Wow. This guy is fucking, Bill Ivan is fucking chasing him, yelling, Oh my God. Stop or I'll shoot you. He's run. And then Paul Onions run. Paul's waving down cars and they're just driving by. No. And they can see he's being pursued. <laughs> but they're like, I don't want a piece of this guy with a gun. I know. Which you that's also such get. Like, if thing. you saw a guy with a gun chasing someone, it's really hard to, like, engage. Right? Mm-hmm. 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 I would say, as I was driving, if my I don't think my mom would want me to pull over. I'll tell you that much. He sh- shoots at Paul. <gasps> and he misses. And people see it and still don't pull over. They're, like, swerving around them. Oh. <gasps> Then, I guess Ivan is fast because he catches up to Paul. And Paul's in the Navy. He's no slouch. And he's running for his damn life. So Ivan must be fast. I guess he's running for his life, too. But he runs and catches up and, like, tackles Paul. And now they're, like, wrestling on the ground on the fucking highway. And Paul's like, I don't know what to do, but I feel like if I give up and just go with him, that's not a better fate than, like, whatever's about to happen here on the highway. So... I'm just going to, like, keep going. So he gets away and just, like, keeps running and basically tries to get run over by a car because he's like, no one's stopping. And a woman named Joanne Barry sees him get away from the guy wrestling with him. Mm-hmm. And she's driving toward the Belanglo State Forest. She has her sister. She has her five kids in the car. She hears him yell, help me, he's got a gun. And she sees, like, she pulls over. Paul is in a total state of fucking panic. He is shaking and he jumps in her car. He, like, dives in her car. Just like, go, 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 you know? And she reverses the car and, like, (gasps) and then, like, does a U-turn and goes the opposite way and just is driving as fast as she can. And, like, Paul looks out the car and, like, sees Ivan just, like, standing there. Like, like smirking, he oh said, at God. him. Oh, my God. Bless this woman. So Bless scary. Her. Like, 
Oh my they god. They drive to the police and he's left his whole backpack in the car so he has no identification, nothing. Um he doesn't know the plates of the car. So they're basically like, yeah, that guy has your backpack. We can't get it back for you. And they don't really do anything, you know, because what can they do with that report? So they just like file it away and it gathers. I don't know, like look for dust. him, go out to the place that he, t- I don't know, seems like they could do something. I'm just going right. to say it. I, I'm going to say it. Well, while that report is sitting in the police station, just collecting dust, bodies start to get found, backpackers' bodies, people that were hitchhiking in that area, and they're being found in the Belanglo State Forest. Um, we think that the first murder was when Ivan was 17. Um, it's possible. He told his brother Boris that he accidentally killed a taxi driver because he was like trying to rob him. And the taxi driver ended up um, paralyzed from the waist down. So that's like his, he didn't get killed, but it was his first attempted murder. What we'll track with this is later victims were often paralyzed before they were killed. Oh, my God. Um, But he never served time for harming that taxi driver. Um, And in fact, another guy, maybe an innocent guy, served five years in prison for that crime. Oh, my God. But the way that it's written, it makes me think that he was exonerated because it said an innocent man was convicted. So you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Um, we know that Ivan was a rapist. In 1971, he's 26, and he tries to rape a couple female backpackers. Um, but the case against him is formed so poorly. It's such a garbage case that he totally gets away with it, and it just teaches him, I can get away with this. So then he, uh, like, six years later just does it again, or tries to. It's attempted rape, but um, he never gets charged. So then he's just going free and he meets a 16-year-old girl who's pregnant with his cousin's kid in 1983. Her name is Karen Duck. These names, right? Oh, God, these names. They get married and have a kid of their own. But she breaks up with him because he beats her and stuff. And by... Like, they're together six years, and then she leaves him. I read that he burned down her parents' home because she left him. And later, when she has to serve on a trial um, with Ivan, she's like, he would run around and try to kill kangaroos at the Belanglo State Forest. Like, he just loved shooting things. Um, And everybody that knew him is like, he was really, really unstable. He was really crazy. Um, His brother is like, I knew starting from a really young age that he was going to become a killer because he it just like felt like it was built into him and he said mm-hmm. i would say his love came from killing people and i'm like what a weird way to phrase that maybe it's a Jesus. translation thing but i would say that his love came from that so bizarre um and he's like and he's like oh yeah i heard he cut but do it, a, but do it with an australian accent i think it would sound better i can't do that accent it's way <laughs> too hard narr <laughs> He says that he heard that Ivan cut a dog in half with a machete when they were growing oh up. Oh, my God. Oh, so, my God. not a good guy, okay? No. No, 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 no. The first of Ivan's victims gets found in September of 1992 in the forest. And there's two runners, and they come upon um, a dead body in the dirt with 
the hands bound behind its back. And then they find another body just like 100 feet away from that. And they figure out that it's these two young women in their early 20s, Carolyn Clark and Joanne Walters, who they had been on their way to Victoria to do fruit picking like they were backpackers. And they look at the scene of the crime and they determine that Carolyn got blindfolded and she got like marched into, they said, the bush. So is that like, I don't know. Oh, my God. They said she was killed execution style, but because she was shot 10 times in the head, they're like, we think that he was using her body for target practice. So crazy. This guy, fuck him. I hate him. And Joanne was stabbed 14 times um, in the chest, neck, and back. In 93, there's a local guy looking for uh, wood in the forest, and he discovers bones. And they find two bodies when he calls this in. And it's a teenage couple that had gone missing in 89, Deborah Everest and James Gibson. And what had happened is four years earlier, they left Melbourne they went to a hostel in Sydney. They were going to go for Confest. They were, what does that mean? They were last seen heading for Confest. I don't know what that is. I don't know After, if it's like a festival, like some sort of big festival I there. guess so. Um, so they leave the hostel. They're going to hitchhike to go to Albury. And they their camera got found on the road, but they were never found. Then they found their backpack. Again, never them. When they do find these bodies, James Gibson is in a fetal position. And he'd been stabbed so deeply that, like oh, I said, God. I think this is like he had probably been paralyzed because his spine was severed. Um, and Deborah <gasps> oh, had been God. beaten and stabbed. Um, another sad story, there's a lot of them, is that in... 91, there was a German woman named Simone Schmidl. She was 20. She went to hitchhike out of Sydney, and she was like, I'm going to go to Melbourne. I'm going to meet my mom. We're going to go camping. They see her at a train station, but she's trying to hitchhike, and then they don't see her again until they find her skeleton again with punctures so deep that her, her spinal column was, was also severed. Her, her poor mom was waiting for her. That's so sad. Um, also in 91, backpackers Gabor Nukbauer and Anya Habs, she'd um, left Sydney to hitchhike to Adelaide, and they were both also found in the Belanglo State Forest. Jesus um, Christ. They'd been... Gabor had been shot a bunch, and Anya had been beheaded, and her head was never found. So all the bodies that they found have obviously not just been killed in like a simple, straightforward way. No, Everybody's been, been tortured. He's like drawn out these deaths. It's like, and it was all people that were essentially young and just trying to get from point A to point B on some kind of adventure and just were relying on like the person that would pick them up would be a person that would take them there. And they had no way to get away from him um but this when they start finding all these bodies of course they printed in the paper and who picks up a paper back home in england paul onions paul onions and he's like reading about all these bodies being found in this park and he's like that's exactly where i that's was exactly where i was like and nobody's called me either which is so weird because like 
I know what he's the only eyewitness. He knows exactly what he I looks know like. what he looks like. Nobody knows what this guy looks like. This is crazy. So he finds a hotline and he calls it and he's like, listen, here's what happened to me. You guys need to talk to me. But then they go to look at, for the report that Paul made when he was mm-hmm. robbed and chased by a man with a gun outside this forest and they can't find it. They can't find the report anywhere. All they find is like um, a notebook that has like a little note in it about it happening, but nothing. In 1994, they fly Paul Onions to Australia and he identifies Ivan and is like, there's a fo- there's like a set of photos and he's like, this is the guy that tried to fucking do this to me. And it is the best thing that they have to get Ivan And he's arrested that same year. And two years later in 1996, there's an 18-week trial and he's convicted. And the crazy thing is that like Paul Onion's testimony is the most important part of the trial. And this only strategy the defense has is that they're like, we think that it could have been uh, one of Ivan's brothers, which again is just like so crazy. This like family There's that's like always in trouble them. and they're like, maybe it was one of them. Did they have um, any forensic stuff tying him to any of these these victims or do they have their victim's DNA anywhere in his car? It's like, the 90s, so I don't know about that. Right. I don't right. know about that. What I do know is that um, – they do actively like investigate if anyone was with him because he keeps saying it was his brother. Um, and even when they sentence him in this trial, the, ju- um, the judge is like, it does seem like in at least two of these murders, there had to have been more people involved than just one, which is so scary. Um, That's he gets really put scary. in maximum security prison. And while he's in prison, he's like, he's so crazy. So he, then he's in prison. And he just like wants things. So like he wants an Xbox or no, a PlayStation. So he goes on a, a nine-day hunger strike to try to get a PlayStation. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong what with you? What a fucking monster. But he does all kinds of weird stuff in jail. He swallows razor blades and he cuts off one of his own fingers basically to try to like make his appeals yeah. come up faster. Jesus. Or like just get the prison to like give him whatever he wants, like a little spoiled weird baby yeah. that eats razor blades. What I think is also very scary is that there are a couple, there's a criminologist and a criminal psychologist that are really into looking into the evidence in this case because they firmly believe that um, these are not the only victims. And they are, they've like looked at a lot of disappearance cases that match up with locations and sightings of Ivan and so they're like we think that he killed like way 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 more people but he always maintains his innocence what a fucking monster yeah he he's a shitbag um anyway it's it's a really scary upsetting situation and case and it's so horrible to imagine all these like young kids that are trying to have an adventure and they're getting murdered by this person in these horrible ways. And it's so crazy how close Paul Onions was to being one of them. And it's so crazy that not only did he get away, but he's like the only reason that they ever figured it out. Yeah. Jesus. And so this is is a hero's story and the hero is Paul Onions. Paul Onions. God, I love him. Um, Thank you for telling that story. Yeah, I'm sorry it was dark. I'm glad I went first so that you can fix it. 
I don't know if I'm going to fix it, Quinn. Last, maybe I should have saved, I should have saved last week's story, but I'm glad I told last week's story because then you told your fun story. I'm doing the story that I got from Wikipedia, Guardian, CBS, CNN, and New York Times. I'm doing the story of Edward Bernard Peter Buck. He is born in Ohio, a little bit about him. Um, he's born in 54. So like he's basically parents age vibes. So just so we're placing him in that sort of respect. He is born in Ohio. He grows up in Phoenix. But at 16 years old, he comes out to his parents. And, you know, he's of our parents' generation. So I assume that probably was like not the easiest thing to do. Shortly after, as a young man, he starts working as a model in Europe. He is also acting in some TV commercials. He acts in two movies. And it's around like the early 80s or mid 80s that he goes to work for his friend's company called Rapid Information Services. The company, when he's working there, ends up getting into some financial trouble. So he somehow has the money. He has like $250,000 to buy this business that is, you know, essentially bankrupt. So he buys it, bails it out. He renames it Gopher Courier. And this $250,000 investment is a very good investment because he's able to sell it five years later and essentially becomes a millionaire at the age of 32. So he says that he's retired at 32. And what do you do with the rest of your life? You go into politics, activism. So he enters the world of politics initially as a Republican in Arizona. I was walking through. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, please. I was walking through the West Village the other day, specifically yeah. down Bleecker Street, thinking about like and I went window shopping and going in all the expensive stores and being like, who shops here? Like picking up like a <laughs> knickknack and it's like $380. Yes. And you're like, yes. this is just a weird place. It's like another planet. And then I heard these two men were walking in front of me and I kind of was eavesdropping on their conversation. One of them was like, it's just crazy to be this young and you've done it all. You've gone to the top. There's nothing that I want that I don't have. And there's nothing to do anymore. Because And he was like complaining about how rich he was. And he was probably 25. And just like complaining about how like extremely wealthy and bored he was. Quinn. And the other Quinn. guy said to him, well, there's always politics. And he was like, yeah, I guess that's true. But then you stand to lose some of it. And he's like, it sounds like you could lose some of it and be all right. And he's like, yeah, that's true. And I was like listening to this conversation and like barfing, like dying inside. And you know being like, is? can you guys it's, just uh, buy me is, a sweater? Just one sweater a, from this block. Join Patreon for $7 a month. <laughs> it's like, what is it? There's that famous quote is like the youth is wasted. Youth is wasted on the young. Uh, right it's youth is wasted on mm -hmm. the young it's like the same thing it's like money is wasted on the rich money is it's wasted like, on the douche is the <laughs> truth money is wasted on the douche like that guy like here we are we're like putting together our own fucking podcast i'm trying to produce a fucking expensive tour in the uk like it's just like it sometimes feels like so crazy so much and we're just like trying i'm like i'm homeless so that i can afford this shit it's like it's wild to me, Quinn. It is wild to me that people like that exist. And I'm like, why don't you donate your money? Why don't you become a fucking angel investor to people who have a passion in life and want to do what they love? Like, what about that? Maybe you don't need to go into politics and make fucking laws that's going to benefit you and your fucking asshole friends. Okay, sorry. So this guy retires at 32. He is a gay 32-year-old who has a million dollars, and he is a Republican still. So he enters into sort of like Arizona politics um, by running a campaign to impeach the then Arizona governor, Governor Evan Meacham. You don't need to know who this guy is, but Governor Meacham basically like 
the campaign starts before he's even sworn in. And Ed Buck is leading a protest on the day of his inauguration. And the reason he opposes this governor is that this governor opposes Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a holiday. He plans on voluntary drug testing. So he doesn't like that he's going to be drug testing. And also he plans to reduce the police force by 300 officers. The campaign shoots Ed Buck into notoriety. So he becomes really famous. And in in his sort of like infamy of trying to recall recall this guy or get his impeachment or whatever Mm -hmm. um he makes himself open to attacks we know this happens and as a gay man um he becomes that becomes a target his homosexuality so the arizonans for traditional family values they malign him and in 1988 this causes him to essentially switch to become a democrat um so We have an origin story here, folks. In 1989, he becomes the Grand Marshal in the um, International Gay Rodeo, which just sounds fun. And I guess Arizona is not his vibe. So in 1991, he moves to California. In 2007, like I said, he's like becoming a big political donor. He runs for city council. He loses. He Over his lifetime, it's said that he's donated over $500,000 to political candidates. Most of the causes, mostly like their most Democrat causes, he's very active in gay rights, obviously, and animal rights. So all this is he's like a wealthy donor. He's well-connected. Mm-hmm. He has all this money. Mm-hmm. July 27th, 2017, the police get a call from Ed Buck. The police arrive and In Ed Buck's home, they find a young man, 26-year-old, Jemel Moore, and he is dead at Ed Buck's home. At his house? Mm Mm-hmm. Jemel worked as an escort, and he is found naked on a mattress in the living room. There is porn playing on the TV. There is drug paraphernalia at the scene. The police also find at the scene of a crime a sex toy syringes, clear bags with suspected meth in like a toolbox roll cabinet in the living room. So I guess it's like a cabinet that rolls. They find in there 24 syringes with brown residue, five glass pipes with white residue and burn marks, and a clear plastic straw with white pieces of like a crystal-like substance. So assuming there's a lot of methamphetamines, Mm -hmm. there's like a lot, there's crystal meth everywhere. The police see this case. They see this young man. It is ruled an accidental overdose, and the case is closed. Huh. Jemel's mother, Letitia Nixon, she feels in her bones that this is not right. She is a nursing assistant, and so she, like any mother would do, takes issues into her own hands, and she writes a bunch of emails to newspapers and local TV stations trying to get someone else to look at this case. I mean, this is a powerful man. Her son, her young son died there from an overdose with all this drug paraphernalia. What the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. It's then that she's introduced to Jasmine Koenig, who is a writer, activist, and also a political candidate. And they start to look more into Ed Buck. They start to see a pattern. They start to see stories of him luring young black gay men to his apartment and injecting them with crystal meth for sexual gratification. Mm -hmm. He would use social media, dating and escort sites. He would also have friends or people that he's done this to 
like as a referral process, right? He would like pay them to go find someone to bring them back. Um, And again, it was mostly young black gay men who were, you know, in precarious situations, whether they were unhoused, they could have been destitute or themselves struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And he would bring them back to his home and he would inject them with large amounts of crystal meth and he'd perform sex acts on them, which is rape. Um, And this would happen both with and without consent, the injecting. So at this point, like they're just trying to get with all of this information coming up and realizing that this is a pattern that this man has done, Mm -hmm. it's like, we need to take a look. And so the death then is picked up by the LA County Sheriff. It's further investigated. Some of these stories come to light that this is a pattern. The DA still goes, you know what? I'm not going to charge Buck a year after Jemel's death. He's like, we don't have enough evidence. It is an accidental overdose. Activists who are engaged in this crime scene are starting to go, you know what? Like, what's the difference? Like, this guy is a rich, wealthy guy, white guy. He is has so many political ties. It is allowing him to escape criminal charges where, like, they would charge someone regardless anywhere else. Why not him? Mm-hmm. Jasmine, the activist who's working with Jemel's um, mother, Letitia, um, she writes on Twitter that any other deaths that happen at Ed's home would now be the DA's responsibility because they're not acting. They're not doing anything to stop this man. And wouldn't you know it, 18 months later, on January 7th, 2019, they get a call to come to Ed Buck's house. And what do they find there? They find 55-year-old Timothy Michael Dean a black part-time adult film actor dead at his home. This is a second death in 18 months. I mean... Now, now at that point, you're sitting there going, okay, so, like, if it was an accidental overdose, like, why why is this still... What's going on here? What's going on here? After the second death at his home, and this is a guy that, like, was around Ed Buck. In fact... When they were investigating Jemel's death, Mm -hmm. apparently Ed Buck had confided in Timothy Dean Mm -hmm. about how annoyed he was that they were investigating. And then Timothy Michael Dean is found dead at his home. Wow. After the second death, 50 civil rights organizations release a statement calling on local law enforcement to do a proper investigation into Ed Buck and his activity Mm -hmm. and his activities. They call on elected officials to return the money he's donated. You know, they're like, why do you want this blood money? Like, if this is what's giving him power, return the donations. Mm. There's another man that starts coming around his house. Again, he's had two deaths at his home. Who's still going over there? Don't Who's go. Still going? Well, I think he's finding the these men who are susceptible, though, right? Yeah, yeah of Like, course. He's, he's finding people who are um, down on their yeah. luck, who are dealing with addiction. He's like, come over, use drugs. Mm-hmm. So he starts injecting Dale Brown, who is another young black man with methamphetamine. Sometimes he does it several times a day. On on September 11th of 2019, I'm sorry, let me do that again. On September 11th, 2019, which, by the way, is nine months after his 55-year-old friend was killed at his home, was, was found dead at his home, he has Dale Brown over, and he injects him three times with meth three back-to-back doses 
putting five times the amount of meth in his system when Moore and Dean died, when Jemmel and Timothy Dean died. So he knows it's going to kill him. Yeah. What's wrong he has with five him? times. Well, he's a fucking murderer is what it is. Spoiler right. alert. Yeah. Brown miraculously survives this. He recalls sitting on the couch after being injected with meth by Ed Buck, and he realizes he's going to die. And then he starts to hear his dead mother call out to him. And this gives him some sort of like wave of adrenaline where he's able to run out of the house, go to a gas station where he's able to call for help, and he gets to the hospital. He is able to recount this to the police. This leads to Buck's arrest. We have an alive victim who is able to tell his story. On September 17th, 2019, just a week after this incident with Dale Brown, Ed is arrested and he is charged with three counts of battery causing serious injury, administering methamphetamine, and maintaining a drug house. Two days later, they finally get a federal charge added to his charges, which is one kind of distribution of methamphetamine resulting in death, which is going to account for Jemel Moore's death, which was ruled mm-hmm. an accidental homicide. They're now able to charge him. Uh-huh. Almost a year later, there's a federal grand jury who charges Buck with four additional felonies. So he now has a total number of felonies charged with are nine counts. But it's taken years and many activists and many people calling for this to happen before it finally does. And once they get on the live witness, they're able to pursue these charges. This happens in 2019, 2020. Obviously, COVID brings his trial to a delay. Once the trial gets started, prosecutors, um, their main part of their case is that he used his influence to prey and exploit vulnerable black men for party and play encounters, right? Mm -hmm. So the court filings say that he had at least 10 victims and that his nickname was Dr. Kevorkian. One victim says that he was unable to move after Buck injected him with tranquilizer. And then he said, and then he said when he was basically, you know, tranquilized and immobile, Buck suddenly wanted him to leave his house. And he got so frustrated with the guy that he pulled a power saw out of his closet, turned it on and walked towards this guy. Four men, four victims testified being pressured to be injected at his trial. The defense is sitting there going, "Okay, what's the best defense? Oh, the defense that we're going to come with is um, that he developed a drug condition because of a medical condition. So he was an addict himself. And so he would. But it's like if you're an addict yourself, why are you? What do you care when you hoard your drugs? You don't care that everybody else is doing drugs. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. They also, you know, start to use that he was the victim of sexual abuse at the hands of his father and several priests. But it's like, you know what, guy, I just don't know if injecting people and assaulting them is going to account for that. Mm-hmm. And like using people who we've seen this where it feels so premeditated, where you're using people who are not going to get a lot of news, right? You're using like sex workers, young black gay men and bringing them over to your home because you know you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And he had before in 2017, so it's like, why wouldn't he? And, he? and it's like, if one person dies in your home, why are you doing that ever again? Mm-hmm. He just was acting. I, I don't know if he intended to kill these people. I don't know. But the fact is, is like, 
it happened under your care and you continued to do so, you're a murderer. There's mm-hmm. no question in my mind he's a murderer. July 27th, 2001, four years to the day of Jemel Moore's death, he is convicted on all nine federal charges, including the deaths of Jemel Moore and Timothy Dean. At sentencing, Ed Buck told the judge that he was not a meth-fueled axe killer. And at the sentencing hearing, his uh, Jemel's mother, Letitia Nixon, she said, all I can think about is how my son died naked on a mattress with no love around him. She was sobbing when she told this story and she talked about how that he deserved to have care and to have people around him hold his hands when he died because she as a nurse is able to provide that for her patients. And so she's haunted at the idea that her son was not able, was not given that courtesy. Mm -hmm. April, 2022, he is sentenced to 30 years in prison The families of these victims say it's not long enough that he should be in prison for life until he's dead. And that's the story of Ed Buck. I wanted to tell this story, too, because I think it's as a Democratic donor and stuff, I just I don't know why. Maybe it's not worth noting, but I just feel like he was someone who fought for gay rights and animal rights and all these things that, you know, You're like, what? How could you be bad? Yeah, it feels like such a switch to me. And then also to, like, use that as a as a way to manipulate, coerce, and kill people is just like, ugh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. That's devastating. And it just sucks that it's like a timeless story about like people in people power. People in power. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, again, like it feels too like Jemel Moore's death would have gone completely unchecked had it not been for his mother who fought like hell and the activists who fought like hell. Like they were protesting outside of Ed Buck's home. They were like, I mean, they were incredibly vocal. And I think like this, this could have been, I think like he acted in a way that he thought he could get away with by, by ruling it accidental overdoses. But it's like by by sort of mm-hmm. sharing the story, they're able to get more witnesses coming forward that said, hey, he did the same thing to me. He coerced me into injecting it my, in, into him injecting me. It's like these are stories that like people would not have come forward. It's like it's like in your story, you had Paul Onions, who was like begging to have this case reported. And then in in this story, it's like you had all these men who just didn't have any power where they didn't feel like they could even report it. Ugh. And so all of this stuff was going completely unchecked, unnoticed. And I and I do I do believe that had these activists or mother not said anything that he would have gotten away with these things. He would have gotten away with these murders. No question. Definitely. But there's always a mom out there and she's there's always, always a mom. hungry for blood. Don't fuck with a mom, Don't especially a mom who is the greatest profession in the entire world. A, a damn nurse. nurse. Don't fuck with them. Don't Mom fuck nurses. with them. The bomb, the shit. The bomb.com. They will fight to the <laughs> they will fight to the very damn end. And she did. Yeah. Thanks for telling that story. It's so sad. It is so it's sad. So this sad. is a very sad episode. So this you know is a sad we episode. We need some we need jack a, candy. We need, a, we need some jack candy. Let's get Come some on, jack candy in. in the house. All right. How about this? Let's see. Um <laughs> If you ever teach a yodeling class, probably the hardest thing is to keep students from just trying to yodel right off. You see, we build to that. 
No, um, she didn't like that I'm one. All right, here's, here's, a good one. here's a good one. Here's a good one. Sometimes when I feel like killing someone, I do a little trick to calm myself down. I go over to the person's house and ring the doorbell. When the person comes to the door, I'm gone. But you know what I've left on the porch? A jack-o'-lantern with a knife stuck in the side of its head with a note that says, you. After that, I usually feel a lot better. No harm done. <laughs> um, Quinn, I have to ask you. So my nephew's birthday party is this weekend. And I was talking to him and he's like, and Carrie, can you come to my birthday party? I was like, I'd love to come to your birthday party. And um, he goes, what did he say to me? He goes, so it's a costume party. So just dress in costume. And I was like, okay. And my sister-in-law looked at me and she's like, it's not a costume party. And I was like, is he trying to prank me? And she's like, no, he he really thinks it's going to be a costume party. And I have to work on him this week to tell him it's actually not. It's actually not a costume party. (laughs) guy. But I just hope that he's going to wear his little Batman outfit. Let him wear whatever he wants. It's his. I think he should wear whatever he damn wants, whatever he pleases. But I love, I'm like, is my nephew trying to throw one over on me and be like aunt carrie's gonna show up in full costume yeah, that'd be really good what would you go maybe as? i'll wear maybe you know maybe i'll go when i went to his halloween i'll wear my overalls uh, with like a week. little week shit oh i'm gonna read you one more because i really like this one <laughs> if you saw two guys named hambone and flippy which one would you think liked dolphins the most i'd say flippy wouldn't you you'd be wrong though it's hambone <laughs> <laughs> I like that one a lot. It's really good. I really like that one. It's I really like that one. Oh, All right, so dearest readers, I'm sorry this was a downer. Um, the good news is about this episode, though, is that the bad guy was put away. And I'm very glad to hear in both cases the bad guy was put in jail. I think the good news is is it's Hambone. <laughs> the whole time. Dearest the readers, we love time. you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.